Hey everyone, welcome to CTF Radio. I'm Adam D, and I have with me, as always, Zardis. Zardis, you want to say hi? Hey everybody. And we have a very special episode, although I guess I feel at this point where all of our episodes are special, I guess we don't do any uh, regular run-of-the-mill episodes. Is that true, Jan? Where we just like, yeah, what would a regular run-of-the-mill episode be? I don't know, CTFs are are always fun. Last weekend... Exactly. Last CTF weekend in CTF, that'd be pretty good. I think if somebody did a yeah. news, that, that would be actually pretty news style CTF um, about who won what and who played what CTFs and what CTFs are upcoming, uh, that'd be interesting. Yeah, we should uh, actually. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, think about how to how to make that work. Anyway, cool. Yeah. So today we have a. So the um, before we kind of introduce our guests, so the topic of today we're going to be talking about basically the. Uh, merging of education and CTFs, right? So how do we, how can we best, uh, you know, there's a high level um, problem and we've both seen this as educators of how do you train the next generation of people in CTFs? How do you make it so that they are, sorry, not in CTFs, but in security. So how do you develop security skills among um, students and people or people who don't really understand security? How can you bring them up to speed and bring them into the security realm? And so I think we're going to be talking about a lot of different aspects of that, specifically around CTFs, because that's the area that we love to focus on. And so to help us kind of... Yeah, yeah please, John. Um, I was going to say, uh, you know, as uh, for those that haven't watched maybe our, like, origin stories and so forth episodes, um, basically, as we observed earlier, uh, Adam got uh, into CTF through cybersecurity education, I actually got into cybersecurity education through CTF. Um, so it's it's CTF and cybersecurity education are very linked yeah, That's for us funny. So you were educated in, in cybersecurity through CTFs, basically. And I was educated in security through CTFs. Wait. No, edu- yeah. You're I said the same, same thing, thing twice. Okay, cool. That's awesome. Uh, yeah, I don't know what I was going for there, but I thought there was something clever. But sometimes... You know, you got to take some swings. Otherwise, you won't make any hits. So yeah, exactly. cool. So to help us uh, talk about this today, we have... Uh, Fabian, you may know him better as Live Overflow. He's uh, coming, uh, and and uh, we're really excited to have him on. I mean, I could uh, talk, I guess, for a long time about how amazingly uh, famous you are and how much uh, internet points you have with the uh, YouTube videos and all that stuff. But uh, rather than me talk about that, maybe it'd be better if you could uh, introduce yourself. Oh, hello. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I'm really excited to be on this podcast because I think it's an amazing project and I'm very looking forward to uh, all the upcoming episodes of this. Well, thank you. We, we really appreciate that. You know, it's it's only, I think it maybe the boring episodes are when, you know, it's just Jan and I chatting. I think for us, we get boring. Uh, it, it can get boring over time, us talking to each other. We'll just go over the same topics over and over. So, we really appreciate <laughs> exactly. We really appreciate you, you know, joining us today. I, a, we appreciate you listening. We appreciate anybody else out there who's listening or watching. Uh, you know, it means a lot. And so, uh, yeah. So, so maybe I can I can start off by asking you, kind of, how did you get into security and CTF? Since that's going to be kind of the theme of what we're talking about here. Yeah. So there was a time where I started to learn a little bit about security, mostly web security, because I've been doing like web development stuff. But um, it was really hard to learn anything, really. It was I was in university at the time. And then uh, one day on Hacker News, there was a blog article shared from Stripe, the payment mm-hmm. processor. Mm-hmm. And they were doing like a recruitment CTF thing, the Stripe CTF. 
And uh, that's the one that I discovered. And it was about like basic buffer overflow stuff. And that just hooked me immediately. And that article also then uh, redirected to like IO smash the stack and war games and CTFs in general. And yeah, just from there, that was like the, the trigger from there, everything exploded. That's amazing. So do you know when roughly, like uh, what year that was? Um... That was 2012, early 2012. Wow, so Stripe CTF 2012. So, and then how did you come across the CTF? Like, were you, is it friends that sent it to you or? No, it was a hack on you. Somebody shared the blog article that the CTF ah, is happening. Right, okay. Yeah, and then for a while I would only play like war games and it took me a bit to really find like or get into the regular CTFs uh, with CTF time and everything. I see. Uh, probably easily a year or so I've been just doing war games. <laughs> Did you find that um, the reason for that was uh, just CTFs were unapproachable or and war games helped you build that up? W why that year gap? Oh, I just think I didn't realize that there's something like a CTF community playing these kind of things. I, I'm sure I must have stumbled over CTF time before, but I feel like I didn't quite understand like how it would work or so, like external events organized somehow. Um, stumbling or researching a war game, having a website where I can just sign up and uh, play some challenges uh, was just easy and made sense. Um, I think it just took a while to realize like how the community is kind of set up. And so did you focus on like web style CTF challenges or binary style? No, I I mean, I had already web experience, but through the Stripe CTF with buffer overflows and then IO smash the stack, I was introduced into the uh, binary exploitation areas. And then, but, uh, but uh, then on the board games, I've been like playing W3Charles, um, web challenges and crypto challenges, crack me, this kind of stuff. Cool. So kind of uh, trying to become a jack of all trades in some sense, right? Not to. Yeah. That is also a little bit my problem, but also what I really like, just jumping around stuff. Um, I've always phases. So that was the phase where I was really into binary exploitation. And I think I have since then never been that focused on that topic and focused on other stuff. Yeah. That's awesome. And so did you then uh, join a team? How did you kind of then get into the, the CTF scene? Oh, that took ages. Uh, for many years, I've been just like playing alone, like when CTFs were coming up or so. I just like the challenges and uh, trying to solve um, yeah, difficult things for me that I was then actually able to solve. Like that was just such a good, uh, rewarding feeling. And uh, CTF team, I only found actually, there was a German competition called the Cybersecurity Challenge Germany, uh, where individuals would participate. And out of weird reason how it happens, somehow those finalists and people that were left over started to form a new CTF team and that became the Alice CTF team and since then I've been playing with Alice. Yeah. Oh, cool. Cool. Yeah, Alice, um, I actually, I think Alice CTF was in the last two or three months, right? Yeah. Yeah, you guys host. Yeah, and I, a bunch of my students actually played. Uh, not just uh, you know shellfish, but uh, my uh, actual like undergraduate students. Yeah, cool. Yeah. And what motivated them to play? On were they just seeking out CTFs for their own <laughs> fun and enjoyment? Yeah, so maybe um, that's probably part of it. Uh, no, I, I maybe you're jumping a little ahead, but um, in my course this year, I give um, one percentage. 
um, of extra credit to the final grade per weekend of CTF that they play. That's um, awesome. Yeah, 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 I like that. Cool, we can use that as like a teaser of where we're going to get to uh, in a bit. But exactly. before we get there, I think, you know, I want to kind of learn more about our guest and kind of his journey. So mm-hmm. then, then can you take us in? So then how did uh, all of this, you know, uh, YouTube videos and streaming and this, like, I guess, first question would be, where did the handle come from? So where's the live overflow handle coming from? Yeah, so maybe I have to start like one step Please. before that. Yep. And that was, uh, I was kind of like hitting a wall with like war games. I couldn't really progress mm-hmm. anymore. Um, the topics got more complicated. Things like uh, return oriented programming also felt like inaccessible mm-hmm. to me. Um, but I had this feeling that I would understand it. I just needed somebody to explain it to me. I, I, I just felt like I was running against a wall mm-hmm. and I just couldn't progress. And then one day I stumbled over Geohot uh, live streaming himself um, some some challenges. I think it was over the wire challenges or something. Yeah. I didn't see it live. I only saw a recording afterwards. But that like blew my mind because that was the first time in my life that I looked somebody else over the shoulder, some like other professional. So like even in coding that I've done before, I would never see like somebody else program. Mm-hmm. Or so it just, it just didn't happen. And the same thing for security. And so seeing him, how he uses the, the terminal, how he writes his little exploit scripts and so forth, that just like opened up everything for me. And that, that was the thing that pushed me through. And uh, then I thought this is so incredibly amazing. Uh, this, I learned so much through that. I want to give this to other people too. I'm not on life. Uh, I'm not on GeoHot's level, but um, you know, I've already like gone through the basics of buffer overflows and stuff. Maybe I can provide the same thing on a lower level for the people after me. Mm-hmm. And then I also started with live streaming, um, the exploitexercises.com challenges protests are now exploit education, um, and so I needed a name, and then I was live streaming, and uh, then live, and then because I was doing buffer overflows, it was live overflow. Amazing. Yeah, isn't that funny how you kind of make up this name? That uh, t- and actually, I've I've heard uh, to tie it into education. I got similar advice about uh, naming a course. If you're going to name a course for the first time, name it very broad, so that you can change it easily in the future, right? So, yeah, it's kind of funny. You know, like the live overflow name. It's like ah, it's a good name. Like the live part's great and the overflow is great. But now when you extend, you know, you're posting uh, XSS on Google search videos and these kinds of things. So, uh, yeah, but I think people can still see the. Um, the genesis there, so it, it makes sense. Uh, that's that's really interesting. And so, how did that experience go then? Did and so and I guess maybe you can talk, you know, a little bit. I mean, I've I've done a little bit of this, and and I and I wonder, you know, what's kind of your your process like, especially in the beginning when you were first kind of streaming these things live. Did it change the way you approach problems? Are you thinking differently? Uh, maybe you can put us in the mind of a of a yeah. of live overflow. So uh, my, the big takeaways from me streaming were, first of all, that I was not as entertaining as Geohot. Like I could not, <laughs> I could not like try to have active work and then still have some kind of funny commentary or yeah. witty thing or something. But it's, yeah. to, to be fair, I think very few people are as entertaining as Geohot. Yeah, absolutely. But is <laughs> a special individual in that regard. Yeah. And, so I realized I would not watch my own streams. I thought they were so boring and terrible. Um, it was. It did not feel like how I was watching Geohot, and so I didn't like that. 
The other thing that I took away was that when I tried these exploit exercises uh, challenges, I've solved them before. There was a little bit of time in between, Mm -hmm. but I knew roughly the solution. But I was still constantly running into issues and um, I wasn't able to just like straight away solve them. And especially when I tried to explain what I was doing, I realized I did not actually understand what I was doing. Um, and so I had this realization, this typical thing, like if you can explain it, then you really understood it. And I realized I didn't really understand that. Yeah, I think that's a, I'll interject a little bit. I know maybe Jan feels similarly, but I, you know, my background was always kind of web and web CTFs and that kind of stuff. And so, you know, I, I knew binary exploitation and those things, but it really wasn't until I taught a class on you know, on and part of the things we covered was you know modern binary exploitation that I really got good at it because you have to you know ex- I think it, and it, the key it comes down to explaining it to people so you get to a step and you'd be like okay why is this happening or why did I get this error and it's not just enough to understand how to fix it you really want to understand why did it happen so that you can prepare for it better in the future and I'm constantly learning these kinds of things as I go to teach uh, something I think my favorite one was. The, when I finally learned about, was it the red zone in uh, x86-64? Where you, I was about yeah, to talk about the red zone. Talk about in it. that, like, yeah. I, I learned, so I, I'd, I'd always been aware. Anyways, you go talk about the red oh, zone. Oh, well, so I was, uh, you know, a lot of my, and this is part of the, the this weird trade-off when you get into education, uh, especially when you're delivering courses and lectures. It takes so much effort, as we'll talk later, I'm sure, to develop these resources. And so once you're kind of locked in, it's, it becomes very painful to then say, okay, I know all this content works and sure it's for X, you know, 32 bit X 86. Do I really want to spend the time to go through everything and update it to 64 bit, which I know is the future. It's not like the concepts are going to be fundamentally different. It's easy to delude yourself into that thinking that, but the details do shift. Right. And so I was, uh, one winter upgrading my, all my slides over to a 64 bit and I kept seeing behavior that I could not explain. And so then I had to, you know, I had to dig in and either talk to Jan or Fish to be like, what is going on here? Or the other thing that bit me, I think, was jumping into uh, some return to libc stuff I was doing and the stack was misaligned. And then that would cause, uh, what is it, XMM register errors and stuff. And I'm just like, you see this error and it doesn't make any sense. You're like, this works, this exact code yeah, works. Yeah, there's a sec fault, yes, but the memory is yes, mass, right? It's crazy. So, yeah, that's... Uh, so anyways, so the, the go back to the red zone. The red zone is basically this feature of x86-64, and it's part of the, what is it, the ISA or something that says the stack, certain bytes under the stack are um, are are guaranteed to not be, um, not be touched. So this means that if you have, I think, a leaf function that doesn't call anything else, it can use parts of the stack that it hasn't actually allocated. So it hasn't moved the stack pointer down to officially allocate those values, but... It, you can still use those values in the function. So you'd be looking at code and be like, wait a minute, how could it pop? So I have this slide that says, you know, the stack pointer's here and I always have a high memory at the top and low memory at the bottom. So the stack pointer's here and anything above the stack pointer is, you know, essentially allocated uh, memory and anything below it is garbage. And then later on, I'm going through an example step-by-step showing it accessing memory that's lower than the stack pointer. And so you need to understand why in order to not, you know, contradict yourself. That's the exact same thing that happened to me mid lecture, um, and 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 like I've I've seen it. it, it hasn't been important enough to explain it to anyone in the past, but now that I'm walking someone through a function using its stack, and I'm like, and then wait a second, <laughs> right? And and it is just enough to like 
you know jar you out of a your your routine teaching and and it's it's just i it, it pops up a lot actually I, I find that it pops up for me um an enormous amount uh with heap um volumes right i mean uh i wouldn't call myself a hyper expert on the heap but you know we've uh created uh, how to heap back in in my day um with shellfish um a lot of heap challenges uh in ctfs etc i've taught the heap multiple times and yet every time i go and teach it there's you know just, just these subtle subtleties of confusion like that the last eight bytes of an allocation overlap with the previous size uh field of the next allocation. this sort of stuff every time just destroys you um and you, you just have to be like 100% on top of things because it all folds together. If you mix that up and then you go on to talk about uh, how, uh, you know, one uh, poison null bite attacks work on the heap, it doesn't make sense without that overlap. <laughs> um, if you talk about uh, exactly the ranges of the different TCash bins, it doesn't make sense without that overlap. It's just, it's insane um, how much you have to uh, have everything like, you know, in your mind and, and ready to go. Like you said, yeah, if you don't know something, I mean, the best way to know something is to sit down and explain it to someone. Yeah, exactly. Which then kind of maybe uh, brings us full circle. So Fabian, I'm kind of interested. Uh, do you think, so you, you mentioned uh, earlier that it was kind of, you were doing um, war games and stuff on your own. And so did you feel that perhaps maybe what drew you to, you know, to being, uh, to appreciating seeing these streams is the fact that you didn't have, people that you were working with because that is honestly one of the ways I learned the most when doing playing in CTFs is being, you know, in a room with everyone and working like side by side with somebody and maybe they don't even have a laptop or computer but, you know, one person's driving and you're both kind of going through and um, and exploiting things. So do you think that kind of maybe was a component there? Yeah. I I think I never thought about it that way, but yet, now that you just mentioned it, I I do think that I was heavily relying on online teaching resources and trying to find them, and thinking that they were bad. Like I would learn a certain concept, the hard way, and then afterwards I would think, why did they explain it not better? Mm -hmm. Like why was it explained this terrible? Uh, that was kind of like constantly my experience. Yeah, that's... and then of course trying to do it better than yeah. Yeah, that's fascinating. And so okay, so then, then so and I I I really what I really like about that your story is kind of the drive that it shows to show to you know identify a let's say a gap or a problem that exists in the world that like you know hey it's kind of a pain to learn a lot of these security concepts from uh, either I think write ups are a, one of a pretty bad way for new people to learn about, uh, you know, security things and, and kind of seeing that, seeing an example of something that like, Hey, this streaming thing and watching somebody actually do it is super useful. And then actually then going and kind of filling that gap yourself. So maybe can you talk about how, how that evolved over time? So it was first kind of you, you know, going through those, the exploit things of stuff that you've already known. And so how is your approach to kind of uh, streaming and doing this type of thing evolve over time. Yeah, so there was a pretty quick evolution, like in the first six months or so, I would say. And since then, I've kind of like found like the, my way of doing it. In the beginning, I started with uh, live streaming my my stuff, and then um, I realized I was kind of like bad at live streaming, but I was still experimenting with 
actually then playing CTFs. Like at this time, I already knew that CTFs were happening. And I tried to just completely record myself working on challenges, mm -hmm. even if it would take like hours, and then try to edit that after the fact and maybe add some commentary or so, like trying different processes. But still, those videos were like awful to watch. I mean, it was a typical CTF experience. I would spend like five hours on a challenge and at the end give up because I didn't, I got stuck yeah, or something. Yeah. I still thought like there's educational value in that just to show how people, how long these things take, that everybody Googles around, that it's normal to get stuck and fail at these challenges. Like I still felt like there was value, but eventually I realized that I can explain it very well when I actually write a script and write out exactly what I want to show. And then that slowly transformed into then making CTF video write-ups and also like a kind of like a course, a tutorial, step-by-step exploitation stuff um, where I just would like very deliberately think about what I want to say and what I want to show and how I want to visualize it and so forth. Yeah, That's awesome. So then, yeah, then I guess that brings us right to kind of the main topic about, so basically you kind of started in this direction with the live streaming and then pivoted a little bit more towards, um, let's say like, I don't know, more I, I, I call them scripted videos. Scripted videos. Okay, yeah. So and and I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Of you can kind of distill things down. So then, okay, then then kind of the high goal is so you're doing this to help people understand, you know, how to approach things, how to approach these security concepts in a let's say a a better, more interactive way than just reading kind of a text yeah. write up. Yeah, my motivation was always or like one part of the motivation or design goals for making my videos, make the videos how I wanted to watch them and um, and liking my own videos. And I didn't like the live streams. I didn't like my CTF raw recordings, but these scripted videos turned out to be something that I even enjoy like rewatching myself. And then I felt nice. like I, I, I got it. Cool, that's awesome. So then, okay, then general topics. So then what other, I, I guess, maybe one thing we can start talking about is why do you feel that kind of videos are the a good medium for learning about security topics maybe in contrast with um, some of the write-ups that you were reading or and text documents um i think it's first of all a different medium mm -hmm. and there are different people that learn differently yeah. um so i don't want to like disregard like write-ups or text tutorials or whatever at all i just for me I have, I mean, write-ups work. It's an article is pretty short, but for example, I can, I have never learned with books. I have not read a single like security book. Um, I just yeah. cannot get myself, it doesn't work. And I felt, yeah. People ask me a lot, like what books would you recommend? And I was like, I, I, it's, it's, it's an insane field to try to learn from books. Depends in, though. I mean, uh, I, you know, I think hacking the art of exploitation is a pretty, it's dated, but I think the concepts are there and you can give that to a, uh, you know, I give that to freshmen and they go and learn stuff from there. Um, the web application hackers handbook, I think is kind of a good overview guide that can get people into, you know, the basics and thinking about web hacking. But I think the, the overarching point is that people are very different in terms of what I, I say this yeah. as recommendations well, maybe that in case says people something are listening. About my attention span rather or than, just your learning you know, style, same. right? I, I agree. I mean, I also don't think I've learned any of the security stuff from a book, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, I'd learned a lot about at least the early days of buffer overflows from the smashing the stack for front and profit, you know, article. So definitely not a book, yeah. but 
still something interesting there. Anyway, sorry, sorry to interrupt you, Fabian. Didn't interrupt. Uh, so I was also then just thinking that videos is nice because I like this um, this looking over the shoulder of like a professional also seeing how they work and that gets completely lost in a text write up. Um, just these small comments when somebody is like working through it. It might if you are a beginner like a simple comment like I don't know there's this random like you can use SCP to copy a file that might for a complete beginner if you just drop that like in, in on the side of a sentence might be just the thing that helped them click something uh, and so and that applies to like all levels of um, of skill uh, just like a small comment on the side while you do something like this um, for example if you go back to like heap challenges uh, all these different fields and values um, if you have a write-up you might just like it's, it's a whole web of different things that influence each other. And on a write-up, you might only focus on the things that matter. But if you in person explain this, you can just simply say, I ignore this value because for this and that reason, it's not important for this case. There's just so much more context when a person explains it. Um, and then in a scripted way, it's just like, so the, the difference between scripted videos and just live recording, live teaching, even talks. It's just the condensed version, just that it's like shorter. It can just be a 30 minute or 60 minute video, um, talk can be condensed to like a 10 minute YouTube video if everything is like planned out, what do you want to say? That's great. So then, yeah, that was going to be kind of my, my follow-up question is what do you, how do you approach those plans, right? Because there's obviously, you know, if you went into every detail of everything, it may take, you know, far too long to, to get to where you want to go. And so you have to, be very strategic, I guess, about what things you talk about, what things you don't talk about. But like you said, you, you do want that ability to demonstrate and show a process and those kinds of things that maybe you don't get from a text medium. So how do you approach that kind of that fine line? Yeah, that's the difficult part. Also, it seems in the end, I actually look at the length of the video. Like I used to aim at like eight to 10 minutes for whatever reason. Now it's like suddenly 15 to 20 minute videos but like i have like kind of like a time goal it's roughly like three to five pages in like a google doc that's like roughly the length of script that i want to go with and then i just need to make sure to pack everything of for example a ctf challenge into that and then i need to think about what do i feel like are key takeaways from this challenge mm -hmm. and i want to focus on that and this can include a wide variety of thing, things and differs from video to video Sometimes I want to highlight actually like um, a, a wrong rabbit hole I went into. The, the, most of the video might be about a mistake I was making, uh, simply because I think that mistake was actually the educational part of it and not so much the other stuff. Um, in other areas and challenges, I focus like a lot on just talking about the command line commands that I'm using just because I think, oh, that's very suitable for like an introduction to Linux mm -hmm. or so. Um, so it really, really depends on the challenge and what I felt like is a good takeaway from that. Awesome. Cool. So yeah, that's great. And and then I think that the idea of kind of boiling down the approaches and focusing on different things, I think is very important and can highlight, I think you brought up a good point about the, there's a lot of ancillary skills that we often take for granted, right? Uh, when we're approaching these things, you know, I think, and Jana, I think you can yeah. talk about that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is uh, this is huge. Just uh, what you mentioned, like some videos you highlight uh, commands you're using, right? Um, you also mentioned earlier SCP. 
right? Uh, I have students uh, in my um, system security course, um, and these are uh, seniors, right? That that have gotten to the senior year of school without having to use SCP, and they don't know it. Um, or they don't know how to necessarily use grep very efficiently, right? And so on, on you know, really complex ROP stuff where you're not going to get a gadget spit out or a chain spit out for you automatically, uh, they start suffering. Um, there's, there's all sorts of these, this little knowledge that I find we have acquired through a lot of trial and error and a lot of very, very trial and error where you might have to use the TR command in various crazy ways over the course of your life, right? In, in ways that the students approaching this haven't. And, and this is something that I've really struggled with in my course. Like, um, how do you, how do you get people, how do you convey all of this knowledge that you learned over so long in small steps, right? Uh, you know, you need to uh, um, remove new lines, for example, replace them with spaces. So you learn a specific way to use TR or something. But you can't just start, have a class where you spew, like, if you need to, you know, remove new lines. Um, your your idea of focusing several, some of these videos on um, how to, uh, you know, on, on, on kind of the nuts and bolts and some of the videos on... on it's more. It's like con- it's like context sensitive, right? And I think that's the problem that you're talking about, Jan. Is like, yeah, yeah. I think even you know, in my undergrad, we had a class at UCSB that was half C programming and half just like Unix command line and other yes. skills. And we had this book that was, I always used to make fun of. It was called Linux in a Nutshell, and it was like 800 pages or something. And yeah. it was like it was basically exactly. like a man so, so, so printed out. And yeah, it's like yeah, you could go through and like understand, I guess, at a high level what those commands are, but without that context of like, oh, this is useful in this specific scenario and this is why. Yes. I mean, personally, the thing that I like to try to teach my students is, and it's almost like a maybe a similar thing you're talking about, Jan, of how to, how do I, so I find myself in a situation, right? Like, okay, I need to do like Jan said, I need to translate uh, spaces to new lines. Now the question is, okay, do I know off the top of my head a tool that will do that for me already easily? No then do I think that something like that should exist, right? I think that's part of it. And then three, how do I find that proper tool? I think the thing that I was the worst about as like an undergrad and as a new person is I never read the documentation for anything. Like I would just, you know, I would just like try stuff until it works. And like, so now I, you know, I try to tell the students, like I try to drill into them. You don't know how something works? Great. Read the man page on it. Like you want to understand how this function works? Read the man page about it. It'll tell you oftentimes when it's insecure to use and all these things. And if you don't, and that's how like building up that skill of learning to learn these tools, I think is important. Yeah. I I consider a lot of my videos, like they are about a CTF challenge, but the CTF challenge is more like just this fluffy story around it to give it some excitement. But uh, the video itself is more like, I, I for, what what comes to mind I have videos about like uh, some web challenges or for example that Google XSS mm-hmm. then it's not so much um, then it, that's just a story to keep it interesting but the actual beef of the video is how to use the Chrome developer tools um, and I think if somebody wants to learn Chrome developer tools 
they look for Chrome Developer Tools tutorial. But my video, I feel like, would be the better introduction for it, just because it's like a fun story-based thing. Um, yeah, that's kind of which I think actually goes, and maybe might be a very good segue into um, you know making this sort of learning not just fun, but but very approachable, like you said, right? I mean, you read the developer tools documentation all you want, but um, or or these tutorials, but in the end, this challenge um, has a goal and you know something you can contextualize. Um, yeah, I absolutely agree with you. Um, wasn't it to give an example, Jan? Wasn't it? I mean, this is pretty contrived, but wasn't it uh, Hikon CTF that had the challenge where you had remote? remote command injection of only i think six characters at the start and yeah maybe i think it was four and then went down to three I think or it was, it was five, five to and four went down or something like four. that and so for the five yeah. one everyone started reading man pages of every one and two letter command and we got to things like ed and so people started figuring out how to script to use ed which was one of the original it's a basically it sounds absurd to say, I guess, in this day, but it's like a command line based text editor. So, but without like a GUI, like everything, all the editing happened on the command line. And so, you know, people were reading the, the manual there to figure out what to do to try to abuse this stuff. Yeah. And, and that was really interesting, actually, not just in, I mean, I often present this, this view to, to my grad students, uh, our advisor, um, uh, one of our advisors, Chris Krugel, uh, has this view of like, what the graduate school is uh, in related in relation to human knowledge. Anyways, maybe that's a subject for a different podcast, um, or maybe ideally a different episode. But but basically, it's it's there's knowledge is very gradual, uh, general, right? And as you specialize in cybersecurity, you you have this hyper focus on you know some specific like binary analysis or whatnot, right? But this. Um, challenge with ed was incredible in that it forced us to learn ed right um or i mean i don't think that was the even the the intended solution of the challenge but but we solved it i'd say that's what you did you it wasn't forcing you to do that but yeah, you yeah. did that <laughs> yeah exactly and so so but we learned we learned ed and uh in learning ed it, that that's a very specific piece of knowledge that we've learned, right? And it's almost completely useless in real life. But in learning it, we started noticing connections. Like these are the same commands as uh, VI, uh, you know, command mode. Um, and and so then suddenly, you know, by by learning deeply a new area, we kind of expanded our knowledge generally and found something very applicable, right? So so it helps you understand more what uh you know the history how vi came about so vi turns out was in in some way uh, uh a more graphical like you know end curses basically expansion of ed you know and so forth so this is clearly why emacs is better because emacs has basically always been around in essentially the same form since the early days man i was using you know emacs on a list machine i would can't say back in the day but i did that <laughs> zmax i guess is what it was called but anyways it's a terrible joke. Yeah, but that's a great example that you had there because a lot of arguments that people bring against CTF is that they are like unrealistic challenges. And I find mm -hmm. this so short-sighted. It's only things like one step ahead, but you should see that in the context of like the whole path you are walking. It's 
it uh, it sure like add whatever like you say this might not be realistic but it adds to your context and understanding of everything around it and yeah in the end i feel like these are actually the skills that really like separate you and make you really a professional in the field yeah that's great i mean that's a i think a important important point of one of the things I think that we can get out of CTFs from the educational perspective, right, is, and that, you know, there's definitely truth to that saying that, or that people who say that like, well, CTF challenges are contrived and it's literally true, right? They are, you know, created as a challenge for people. They're fundamentally not realistic uh, because, you know, if you want realism, I don't know, go, go do bug bounties or do stuff like that or find bugs and sell them to shady governments or something like that. So, you know, those paths exist it's also a terrible way to learn. <laughs> you know, if you if you sit down and I'm going to learn cybersecurity by uh, finding a bug and exploiting it in Chrome, probably some people can do that. You know, it's not it's definitely not impossible. But uh, CTF is hard enough to learn through. Um, yeah. So then I guess then that. So what? Maybe we can talk about maybe ideals in some sense. So if there's an ideal way to learn uh, cybersecurity skills, and maybe actually before we do that, we can talk about well, what what types of skills are we talking about, right? So what, you know, when we're talking about this security or cybersecurity skills, what are the things that we're, we want people to learn? I mean, I would say the the first obvious thing that people think is the most important is just the raw technical knowledge about something, like which tools kind of exist and um, how a computer works to apply it. But yeah, that's definitely not all of it. Jan, what do you think? Yeah, um, I, I, I see cybersecurity... Um, as a thin layer on top of understanding truly how things work, right? I think a good example is uh, microarchitectural attacks, right? Like Spectre. You know, in order to understand Spectre um, and, and reason about not just existing, you know, this is X dot, or here, here's a proof concept exploit. I'm going to script kitty it into exploiting you know, some uh, Linux system um, and so forth, right? To truly understand how uh, Spectre works, you need to truly understand how caching works and how speculative execution on, works. On a CPU, so like on. a modern CPU, right? On, a, on an actual CPU. Um, and Spectre itself, the, the, the security implications is a thin layer on top of that. Um, that's my view of what... Um, I'm a big fan of... of, of uh, this concept that to truly master something, you should go one step further and get kind of adequate at one step further. And w by getting adequate and one step further, you master the prerequisites. I, sorry, I, I'm just uh, blown away because you're the first person I met who also says that I, I keep telling people to always overshoot a little bit and go for yeah. the hard CTF challenges. Um, ideally, it's just a bit too hard that you cannot solve it or barely solve it, but it doesn't really matter in the process of approaching this really hard target. You learn so much better than just like going from the next basic to the next basic to the next basic thing. And in that process, I think maybe the, the interesting thing, right, uh, from an educational perspective is you're by challenging yourself and taking yourself to that higher level, you're, you know, in the process of attempting to solve that, you're coming up with, I always think of it in terms of hypotheses, right? So I'm coming up with a hypothesis, okay, will this thing work to break this thing? And then you have to prove or disprove it to yourself and then move on to the next one. And it's the yes. process of generating that, especially so I'll, I'll say that the 
skill that I always want people to get is this adversarial mindset of looking at something, understanding how it works, like Jan said, but then not just with that understanding, then be able to perform like what if scenarios in your brain to think, okay, what if I did this? What if I did this? What if I was able to control that value? How could I control that value? And, and it's getting that way of, it's it's like kind of like a testing mindset in some way. Like I had, uh, the story I really like is I worked as a software developer at uh, Microsoft and we had, at the time Microsoft was split basically into thirds of like dev, tester, PM. And the testers weren't just, you know, people clicking on things, but like designing test cases and things. And, you know, one of my first as a you know very fresh new uh, person there at Microsoft working, I developed this feature, you know, uh, put out the basically, uh, now we'd say a PR or whatever. And then the testers were like, uh, yeah, it's great, Adam, but it doesn't work on two monitors. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I didn't even think about that. Like, that's like a, you know, it's just like, I just didn't test that. I didn't even consider that, didn't think about that, right? And they, you know, by looking at what I had done and thinking through the implications, they realized, oh, we should test it in this scenario. And it came up with a bug. And so I think that's part of the way that we approach security testing is thinking through what things didn't the developer think about and what does that actually mean for the security implications here? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so so uh, I think that was the big, I forgot why we got on this topic actually. Uh, we're going to go to, oh, uh, I was going to go to what the ideal way of teaching kind of cybersecurity skills are that's in right. our minds. But before we get there, I want to talk about what kind of skills. So, you know, I think that's that's good. We've hit kind of this this high level goal of what we're trying to get. And there's all these kind of, I think, a plethora of skills, right? Understanding, you know, depending on what area you're in, understanding assembly, understanding how binaries work, understanding how CPUs work, understanding the web and databases and you know all of these different layers of the computing stack in some sense and that's those are kind of prerequisites right but you can learn i don't know in my mind you can learn as much of those as you want but without that that adversarial mindset you're not going to really do well and the flip side also works if you know i've seen interesting things of students in their very early days they, you know, will look at some code and I say, uh, what's vulnerable here? Like, oh, well, there's an XSS because if somebody could change this variable, it's like a string that's used in output and a string used in output is, um, is a vulnerability. I'm a guess, but this string is hard coded in this source code. Like, yeah, I'm like, okay. So, but the only way you could exploit that is if you had control of the source code, if you could have control of the source code, you can make it do whatever you want. So it's not really, it's like, oh, and so like, you know, understanding how things work is separate than, you know, contextualizing what an attacker can do. What And what does that mean for the security of this system? Yeah. Yeah, I think in, with a lot of write-ups and the way how, like, talks are constructed mm -hmm. um, and, and courses and whatever um, are always about, like, you know, this ideal path. I did this and this and this. But in reality, it's all these hypotheses, these wrong rabbit holes, these questions you ask yourself, even if they sound ridiculous, they are not ridiculous. They are important um, to really dig into, like how how it works and then what how how the, what the security implications are. Yeah, that's and I think you know uh, to bring up some recent examples. I mean, you did uh, the videos about the Google CTF XSS uh, stuff, which was I tried. You know, I was playing for a few hours and talking to some of our teammates, and we just like. We had gotten like, you know, I was like, okay, if we can do this, then we can do these other two things. And I just couldn't get the, the like first thing working. And so, uh, yeah, but then it's fascinating, you know, 
but we tried a lot of stuff to get to that point. Or there was a man. I honestly, oh, I think it was um, Hack the Vote recently had uh, the propaganda challenge of Hack the Vote. It was a super interesting. Uh, basically, it was an XSS that happened a second after. So in a set timeout, a second after. Um, and then that's where you could you could inject into. But before that, they set window.location to another another page. And so you had to figure out some way to not have that happen. And I was digging into, I had read this paper that was talking about the upcoming, um, there's an upcoming specification and, and security, CSP security header that controls what, where you can go to from a given page and I cannot remember the header name off the top of my head I'll have to look it up while somebody else talks but um, but they said you could use this essentially to control that because it's part of the redirection chain so if you if I got them to go to my site first and then redirected them there that policy would still apply to those pages so I could whitelist certain pages and so I kept trying this but then of, of course it's like but this is still a draft specification and it's not even implemented in Chrome so I was like completely stuck but the but you know, I kept thinking of other ways and we kept trying other ways and it turned out it was a really clever way of using redirection on another page. So you could inject into, they had a playground and a, the challenge and basically you'd inject JavaScript in the challenge page that would redirect it to challenge up to 199 times and then redirect it to the challenge page at 200. And at that point, uh, Chrome will say, okay, no more redirections. We've hit the redirection limit and it won't redirect the window.location which was like super cool. And it's like, oh yeah, I didn't get it, but like trying that was amazing. I think I learned a lot. Yeah, that sounds awesome. Yeah, that sounds to me like what I love about CTFs, um, that yeah. they force you to dig into these technologies that you otherwise would have never looked into. And also it has a very clear takeaway, right? The takeaway, I think a very good CTF challenge from an educational perspective has one awesome takeaway and that takeaway is hey you can control the ability of a site to redirect actually very easily because you could do the same thing um well i don't know it, it depends on how that that counter is managed right but potentially you could do the same thing um from any attacker site yeah that's interesting i'll have maybe. to think about yeah i didn't think about those implications and the the header the policy i was thinking of was navigate to so there's a navigate to spec that so essentially you could control, you know, ads or whatever so that a malicious ad can't redirect you or navigate you somewhere where it shouldn't. So, um, mm. yeah, anyways, so that's, uh, so yeah, so then how, okay, so then in the ideal world, I guess, how would you build, so, you know, it's kind of a, and maybe the interesting thing we can talk about here is, Fabian, you talked about how you kind of are developing essentially these courses through your, like a series of your YouTube videos. So how do you think that then contrasts with, um, maybe traditional security courses. And don't worry, you will not hurt our feelings. We're very happy to talk about <laughs> those things. No, we're also very disappointed in traditional security courses. Uh, I started with like the binary exploitation playlist, which is like I basically my only real like longer running course. All the other YouTube videos are basically independent and uh, stand by stand on their own uh, they completely vary in like the expected skill level so there's no actual like progression it has more to do with like how youtube works that people just come in and start watching the new videos and they might go back like watch something but the youtube experience is just different so now i kind of just want to provide something that 
um, people can just watch and they can take something away from it. So it's not like meant as like a standalone, like the perfect like course or anything like this. I personally also like, I never like learned being handheld. Like I had, didn't have a security course. For me, it was always jumping between topics and starting a CTF challenge, maybe abandoning it again and like com constantly jumping around. And so I, and I want to explain to people that not everything is like a clear path, especially like web security is so intertwined and interconnected these security issues that it's like, I, I, f I find it very hard to come up with some kind of linear path through that. And I kind of want to convey that it's like, okay, and maybe even the right thing to do to just keep jumping around and take a little bit of knowledge from there, then a bit from there, then a bit from there, a bit from there, and slowly like the blurry picture um, gets clearer. Yeah, that's great. And, and what about you, Jan? Yeah, uh, so I, I really like this approach, right, of um, you almost you end up learning without realizing that you're learning mm. right because here's here's a fun problem like like a, just a you know mind puzzle uh, and here's another puzzle and here's another puzzle and by the time you're done you've gradually kind of pushed that knowledge out enough um you're needing a person's knowledge right um without quite them realizing it my worry about this um what i've observed in trying to um, bring in new people into um, a CTF team is that very few people actually survive in some mm -hmm. sense through yes. the, the difficulties there, right? So they fail at one challenge, even if they've learned something subtly or they're starting to learn something, that failure stays with them and it impacts their confidence. Yes. And then the second challenge that they try um, they're coming into this from the perspective, well, how hard, how far will I get before I give up? And the third challenge is, is, is worse and so on. And eventually, um, you just kind of crush their motivation. And when, when I, so I was a uh, captain of shellfish during my, uh, graduate, um, school career and, uh, in graduate school, I think out of all of the people that we, kind of tried to pull in to shellfish unless they were already there was this 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 um inflection point right someone comes in not being an expert and um either in that first like two months they will go heavy crazy into ctf um we had a teammate like like this that showed up um actually not at ucsb but at, at a, a shellfish site um, showed up to uh, a hack meeting, uh, knowing nothing, disappeared for two months, and then showed back up and was uh, our best uh, like exploiter, right? Um, either they do this or, or or something close to it. Maybe not in two months, but you know, you know, just you can you can tell that they they. I could give a, a high level example of people that we know who we won't you know name them because I don't know if they, if they want to be named, but. You know, we had people who joined, you know, asked us about joining the UCSB hack team, uh, you know, hacking meetings that went for basically two hours a week weekly. And we had some people who were um, physics, physics majors and weren't even computer science majors. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, we said, yeah, definitely join. Here's the things. But, you know, it may be over your head and that's OK, but keep up with it. And then now these people are the people that Jan was talking about of finding exploits in Chrome and stuff. It's uh, 
it, yeah. it's crazy to see yeah, that absolutely. that progress from those those early days because it, it does you know and I think and maybe the, then the question so at least my my philosophy in terms of teaching is like I could probably lecture and and talk about you know buffer overflows and teach you about buffer overflows I mean I don't think that the concept is that crazy right I think it's uh, you know I think it's an, a, a learnable concept and I did tell this to some uh, U.S. Congress people that I could I could teach them. I was confident I could teach them the theory of buffer overflows, but the real meat comes into actually I call it putting fingers to keyboards, right? And actually, kind of do several um, of these buffer overflows, and then you actually really start to appreciate the nuances and all the details that we're talking about. So I guess how, what's the best way do you think that we can get people to get that hands-on experience? Yeah. I have to say, like you as an educator at the university, face a very different challenge that I'm yes. like on YouTube uh, teaching, because like as I mentioned, like a core motivation is for me. I make the videos how I wanted them to be, and I have been like a you know a self-driven, self-motivating, and yes. a person who is not uh, put um, like hit down from like failing challenges. Like that's just something I had, and so my style and my views and my experience has only been like that but you need to pick up students like very diverse like fields of people and somehow like introduce them and help them get into this field um so i think that's very different and i get a lot of questions from people like should i go to this university which course should i do which book should i buy this all comes from this problem that they want to learn but don't know how and the, my issue is that I only know like one way how I've right. done it and how I have designed my YouTube stuff, but uh, it's might not be for them. And so I typically like on, my only advice I always give is like do whatever seems fun to you because like yeah, it's a great point. Fun is a, a the critical element. I mean, like I think that's and that's what I think pushes you past the failure, right? So you need kind of a, either a high tolerance yeah. for failure or. You need to understand that failure is literally part of this process. And I to bring it kind of all the way back. I think that's what's so important about doing those, what you originally started with, those live videos, right? I think showing and, you know, I guess it, it depends how that comes up in your scripted videos, but showing the mistakes that you made, I think is critical. And for me, that was always the frustrating thing about reading text write-ups is like, and I definitely, you know, I've done a few like live hack throughs that I just threw up on YouTube and did absolutely no editing because I looked at a three hour video and I'm like, there's no way I'm editing this. So I applaud you for uh, the effort of doing that. So yeah, that's that's one of those things. But it's like, nobody sees all the times that I'm just like Googling, like they don't say in the write up, okay, we got to this point, And then we spent two hours Googling and trying to come up with ideas until somebody yeah. finally came up with this thing. And here's 10 things we tried that didn't work. And here's the 11th thing that finally did work. So for my whole, like, if, if there's like a timeline um, of my learning progress, then having access to these live streams that truly show how long you can get stuck on something and what you just mentioned, everything is like for my learning experience is like a small sliver that was like seeing GeoHot like mm -hmm. failing around. Um, and that was enough to push me through that, realizing that. And from there on out, I was able to do um, like learn again and do my own thing um so like i think live streaming and this extreme long like many hours of content is like boring for most but for a few people it's the uh, at the stage where they are at is exactly what they uh need in the 
moment. Yeah, because hopefully, so, just I, like you said, it helps you maybe when you've plateaued, right? And you're in the, I guess the most difficult thing is the unknown unknown, right? If it's if you knew what to go study, you could probably go study and figure it out. Or, But if you don't even know what you're missing here to know what to get you unstuck. And that's some of the things that are so difficult about write-ups is because they just present every step as the obvious next logical leap. But you're looking there. It's yeah. almost like, you know, in some sense, this is the frustration I had as a a kid and still now of looking at like math proofs and I'm like wait a minute how'd you get from like four to five man that step doesn't make any sense to me like I, I understand all this I understand all this and you really have to kind of build up that knowledge base to understand that intuition yeah what I actually find is is really demotivating for people is when the step between four and five does make absolute sense and is obvious in retrospect but there's no way that they would have gotten that um going you know from four to five um, and we see this a lot in science, actually, right? You see a paper and you read this paper and you're like, oh, well, duh. <laughs> but but then coming up with that initially, right, that is a, uh, you know, and then it's not just not just actually in academia. If you read the original uh, Return to LibC blog post um, or blog post, a, a mailing list post uh, from like Solar Designer. And, and in retrospect, it's like, yeah, okay. You know, this this seems like a pretty straightforward uh, thing, but no one had come up with that before, yeah. and that's yeah. And like as a from a coming at that that specific thing from a learning perspective, right? I mean, I think it's clear that uh, there's a big logical leap from uh, the classic buffer overflow shellcode on the stack at a fixed address, and then your overflow is just spraying an address. So. I think the level of precision you need is incredibly different from that versus a return to libc and rop right so i think that it's almost like mm -hmm. a it's like qualitatively different because it requires so much precision whereas previous things necessarily didn't and like understanding that that's what's really needed there is very difficult but but once you get it you look at it and you're like well of course this is how that works yeah. you build up function frames and they just get called and done yeah. What I really like about like these um, these moments in CTF where or in the write-ups and afterwards, like realizing that was like something obvious and I didn't figure it out, is actually something that I find very very important because uh, so I work in uh, security professionally. I do like security audits, code audits, and web web app testing stuff, and um, it's very easy to become complacent because like you see like the same basic issues always come up and. Um, CTF challenges like keep teaching me that there's stuff I don't know or stuff I don't understand how it interacts with each other. Um, and if I feel like if I didn't have CTFs, I would become like a very lazy and complacent person, not doing a good job anymore. Um, what what I should be, what I'm paid for, basically. Yeah, I, I really like this about CTFs. I actually, I mean, I experienced, uh, I was in, uh, well, kind of more IT security before I got into CTFs and, and grad school. And I experienced exactly that, that complacency. Um, it's very easy to get very comfortable if you don't have a, every couple of weekends, some insane situation where you're like, what the yeah. hell? And even better if it's like something basic, you feel like you should have <laughs> known, but you missed it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's, I mean, I, I always like to talk about Orange's web web challenges, but, you know, it'd be six lines of PHP. I understand PHP. I can read every line of code, and I still don't understand where this effing bug is. <laughs> so, 
uh, yeah, I definitely yeah. also uh, love those approaches. Okay, so then, and you, you touched on it uh, a little bit, Fabian. So maybe we could talk about what kind of feedback have so you've been putting these videos out there. You have over half uh, a million subscribers on YouTube, which is very, very, very cool. And so, what kind of feedback are you getting from people? So you talk about people asking for you know other resources of where they can continue their education. You know, are people going into playing CTFs from watching your videos? What what's the response been like? Uh, completely diverse. Um, I, I have gotten like response anything you can imagine. <laughs> but what I'm seeing a lot is that people want like more guided courses. Like I get a lot mm -hmm. of requests asking, "Is that course? Can I buy that course? Is that good? Or which books do you want to recommend?" Like they really want a bit more of a hand holding experience that I'm not really giving them uh, on YouTube. So that's a very common pattern. That, and that's a great piece of feedback. And that's, I think, one of the benefits of maybe more of a traditional educational yeah, style sure. course is that it, like you said, and I think this is when you're talking about, you know, being very self-driven for you, you're going to go learn these things. It doesn't matter if you're in a course or your grade depends on it, but not everyone is really wired that way. And some people need that, um, you know, push to do kind of the homework and the work that they need to be doing so that they don't remain in just this theoretical realm of like, yeah, I understand security bugs. It's like, great, get an XSS on this site. And they're like, uh, it's hard. Uh, so maybe then that ties into, uh, uh, Jan, you want to talk about the Pwn College philosophy and how that compares yeah. to traditional security education. So I think, uh, Fabian, you said something very interesting. You said, you know, I said many should interesting I buy things. this course? Yeah, you said many, many interesting <laughs> One of, of the many, um, one of the many brilliant things, uh, but seriously, uh, that, that you said is, um, that when people ask you sometimes they say, you know, I think you said, should I buy this course or something along these lines, right? Because a lot of this, uh, material is very closed off. If you look at trainings and, and I've had similar questions, right? People said, Hey, there's this black hat training on, um, iOS exploitation. Should I? Should I uh, should I try to take it? And I'm like, yeah, but do you know, you know, like binary one hundred exploitation? I know, right? And like, there there's uh, there's two problems. One is training out there. A lot of these courses are very advanced, and then two, um, they're all a lot of them are are very locked behind. Um, essentially paywalls college courses are the same right you have to enroll in a university so that's like the ultimate paywall um the uh so so uh, th there's a a lack outside of like ct app outside of uh walkthrough videos designed for people that are super passionate and and will just bang their head against the wall until the wall breaks right um there's a lack of these kind of gradual uh course experiences um that's one and then two um there's a, a very you know like you said again um something a, a lack of these hand-holding things so actually adam and i were walking to coffee one day um and we were chatting about like how how would you you know handhold someone into being a a, a ctf uh, master right the you know our old uh, teammates on Shellfish that are out there uh, popping up in CV ad advisories constantly and so forth. How do you, how do you get there? Um, and uh, we started thinking about 
professional sports, right? Uh, which is, uh, I mean, I at least don't know anything about professional sports, but my impression is that if you're on a football team or something, you go out there and you kick the ball every uh, every day, right? You go out at 5 a.m. and you just, like, kick the ball and to even, each other and I'll try say, to score some baskets. I actually do have experience with this. You do this even at the, you know, at, at the high school level. Like, when, you know, I was, uh, did a few years of football, but my main sport was wrestling. And, yeah, you'd train for two to three hours after school every day. Like, three to six is roughly when we would have practice every day. And then you'd spend weekends also dedicated to the sport, going to wrestling tournaments and those type of things. So it brought up this idea. Yeah, go ahead, Jan. Oh, I was going to say, the weekends exist. That's CTF. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah right? And, and the main point of that repetitive training is like the um, amount of hours you are adding up is insane if you think about uh, the time. Yeah, and so I assume like you realized if you... Put this practice into IT security and have suddenly thousands of hours of practice in some way or form, then that's getting you really far. Yeah, and then we and we basically yeah. kind of took that lens and then looked at how not just we prepare for CTFs, but also looking at uh, educational courses. So even like you know in a super hands-on security course like what I took at grad school that went through exploitation and had. Uh, levels that were inspired, you know, homework assignments that were inspired by Over the Wire that had you hacking levels, which is what I have now for my course and what I make my students do. I feel like that's a great way for students to learn. But even that, we realized, you know, you're only doing a few buffer overflows, like a handful, right? You're not, and if you think about, uh, I don't know how the education system works in Germany. I'm sure it's very good, but I don't know, you know, in when you're learning math problems, when you're learning the quadratic equation, you you practice that multiple times of how to apply that and what does it mean and what are the results do you get, right? It's not like you do it once and you're like, woo, I've got this quadratic equation. I'm amazing at this, right? And so we looked at that. Can we apply that same practice mindset to something like cybersecurity education so that students practice, drill these concepts, and then hopefully in the CTX con CTF context, you have the sports uh, benefit where the reason why you train all those things is so you don't think about it during a game, right? You don't, when you're there, you don't have to think about what to do. Either your coach yells it to you or you just know, okay, this situation, I just know to do this and I'm going to do it and see what happens. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think again, the, you know, if you're, if you find yourself in a, a game in a CTF and you have a ball and you have a goal, you have to have an instinct on how to kick. Right, you can't just like okay. I think I've done this once before. Um, let, let's give it a try. No, I was just saying uh, that um, the instinct that you mentioned is, I think, the important part. Even with those math questions, it's not really about like that you are technically able to do it. I, I, I think I, I don't know, but yeah. my, my, I believe that the goal of doing this repetitively is that you develop an intuition for how these equations work, exactly, and that you then later with that developed intuition can apply to other stuff. Exactly. And um, with security, I think that's the same. I, there's a, like, Harvard Flake has, like, a, a keynote at some conference that I really liked. And in the end, or in, in, that, in that keynote, he mentioned things that in security, we teach a lot of, like, the bags of tricks, but we don't really develop, like, good intuitions for it. And the, the professionals, the, the top exploiters, they have developed an intuition through these repetitive practices and doing this thing over and over again. And um, I think that's 
basically in the end the goal that you try to teach them um, this kind of an intuitive feeling for how systems uh, interact and behave and exactly yeah. yeah that's actually one and of the saddest teaching that is super the, tricky. I, so i read a book before i started as a professor so they actually give you it may shock people to learn but we get zero training on how to teach or be an effective teacher uh <laughs> which is insane i mean we're essentially hired for our research uh, ability and so i read a book on you know college education to just try to i don't know get situated a little bit and one of the saddest things that I learned from this book is that some people will take a physics class and ace it, like get A's in everything, all aspects of physics. And then you give them, present them with a real world problem that involves concepts of friction or motion or any of those basic physics concepts, and they can't do it. So like they've, they've been able to do exactly what you said, Fabian, of just apply the formulas but haven't updated their mental model of how the world works based on their understanding of this, this formula. And to me, that's the saddest part because that is exactly what you want people to, to be able to update their mental model of the world. Like you said, to understand bugs better, understand vulnerabilities better for playing CTFs a lot. I think it's understanding CTF challenges better and what trying to get, build up that intuition about, about the world. Yeah. I, I, I would add that it's exactly the same and, cybersecurity, right? Like you have students that have aced every course, including um, the, uh, you know, like C, learning C and, and data structure and so forth. And they don't <clears throat> understand pointers once they have to actually reason about them in the course of exploitation. Um, yeah, it's it's super tricky. And building that is, is not obvious. Uh, Adam mentioned we have no no teaching training. Um, just kind of trial and error. <laughs> Actually, luckily, one of our uh, PhD students was uh, taking a course on education for some reason. I, I'm not sure why. Um, not that it's a bad thing. I just don't know what, what prompted him to do that. And he did a write-up on cybersecurity education and gave it to me to read. <laughs> and so I got a lot of ideas on, on a course between that and, and this conversation about this um, um, a concept of, uh, you know, uh, how, how do we train up CTFers like we train up um, sports people? Yeah, so tell me maybe about the Poem College because I've seen it around. I have, like, looked into yeah. it for just a couple of minutes. Uh, so maybe you can tell me, like, how you kind of solve or what, try to solve these issues. Yeah, and I don't know if we've solved them. I think we've created something that will force people to... Um, master some of these concepts um i don't know if you've really reduced the pain all that much um so it's it, it's hard to to judge where the successes are coming from and so forth but um poem college um basically came out of this concept of uh practice makes perfect like we should go um and and have people you know run these drills or whatever right to to learn all of these concepts um, what I often tell my students is, you know, <clears throat> by the end of, for example, the memory corruption module of Pwn College, you should be able to calculate, you know, offsets in the course of um, doing buffer overflows in your nightmares, <laughs> right? Um, so um, the idea is this, right? We um, take security or specifically um, Pwn College right now is very heavily focused on binary exploitation. Right, and we split it up into the constituent parts with um, 
some uh, times during the, the, the course where we tie it all together. And so we start with, um, for example, just abusing programs. I put that module in um, to, you know, force people to learn the command line because some people don't don't know it, right? Um, you might have a module on shell coding, a module on sandbox escaping, module on reverse engineering, a module on um, kind of introduction to memory errors, uh, overflows and, and under-initialized reads and stuff, and, and so on, right? All the way through to ROP, race conditions, kernel exploitation, um, etc. And in every module, uh, of course, I lecture about it, right? But you probably, hopefully, I think everyone agrees that a lecture is, is not a good knowledge transfer method um, in and out of itself. So then on top of that, we have this practice makes perfect concept of uh, tons and tons and tons of challenge problems per um, module. And it's not enough just to have a bunch of challenge problems. If you do 80 buffer overflows, but they're all exactly the same, um, then it's, it's uh, you know, you're, you might learn how to do offset calculations, but there's some core concept of, of underlying buffer overflows that you're probably not exploring very well. Um, so what we have is um, something we talked about earlier, actually, that a good CTF challenge should have exactly one, well, exactly, but a, a good CTF challenge has a takeaway, a new thing that you learn about underlying technology, about, the, you know, something. Um, and all of the levels, uh, all of the challenges of every module are arranged into levels where each level introduces a new concept, right? And so you might have a um, straight up, you know, buffer overflow uh, with, without any constraints, you know, in your in, in level one or whatever. And then level two, you um, have a buffer overflow, but on the way between the buffer and the return address, there's a variable that you need to not destroy, like a, a, an index that's being used uh, and, and so on, right? And, and things get harder and harder and harder and, and, and uh, explore different aspects of the problem when in ideal situations by then people have a very good understanding of what causes uh, buffer overflows to occur. What are the implications? Uh, what are you know the different methods of control that an attacker might achieve using a buffer overflow, um, and so on. Um, and then, um, of course, you face the challenge now of every module is basically a a mini course in and out of itself, right? With an introduction lecture, and then all of these like different levels of of uh, increasing complexity. Um, and there's just not enough teaching material or teaching time for it. So then uh, partway through our first iteration of phone college, I realized, shit, have the classes failing. <laughs> this is oh. going to be a disaster. And, and, and we uh, went back to the, the drawing board. And I actually I talked to students I'm like, why is, you know, what why is there such a big drop um, between level three of the buffer overflow and level four of the buffer overflow scenario? And there and, and it's just. There was too much unknown, right? Too big of that. That single step that they had to take was too large, um, and it, it it occurred to me that you could make that step smaller by actually having a challenge that tells them what to do, right? So we have these things called teaching challenges, where the challenge says, "Hey, listen, between the buffer and the." Uh, um, 
a return address, there's a counter. And that counter is actually the index into the write buffer and the, and the read buffer of a, of a handcrafted uh, mem copy. And as I do the mem copy, I'm going to print out exactly what the index what the index is, what I'm about to read, and what I'm about to write, and what the index is afterwards. And then I find that people are like, oh, shit. Mm-hmm. When they read the 79th, and then I tell them, oh, and the buffer is this length, and there's this distance between the buffer and the index, and this distance. And all of this is printed out. Right. Of course, all of this you can get through GDB, but but you have to know to get it. Yeah. So by printing it all out, people uh, are going through and oh crap, that's that that's what's going on. I am uh, reading my my uh, the, the the index value right now. This is crazy. And here, and I'm writing over the index value. And now the index value is this, and then it clicks, and suddenly we start seeing a much more gradual curve. And actually. What we see now is uh, th- there's a lot of challenges. Um, I think, for example, for um, the return-oriented programming, or maybe maybe it was the memory errors. I don't remember. One module got up to uh, 18 levels, right? And you might say, okay, well, this is a lot for students to tackle, you know, in just one small part of the course. But at the same time, we find that when we have too few levels, that means we have uh, big jumps in, co- in, in conceptual complexity. Um, we find the, these, you know, students are, are working, work, and then they just hit a wall. And so you see uh, 100 students solve these levels, and then 70 students solve the next levels. Right? And then that tells you, okay, there's either a walkthrough bit or uh, a level missing between them. A lot of the times, you know, there are different concepts that are harder with uh, ASLR on because, that, you know, a lot of randomization that comes into play or um, things along these lines. And so you say, okay, well, let's have a level without address space randomization and then a level with it and then you know things smooth out and and people are are able to catch up that sounds awesome uh i think that's a problem with like the war games and ctfs to not have like a good gradual uh difficulty Mm -hmm. especially like war games i always smashed the stack was something i I would solve a level and the next level i was stuck for like a couple of weeks or so um and i would take a break and come back a couple of months later um yeah and having the data, being able to see that with like a hundred students where they fall off, that sounds amazing. Uh, and being able to fine tune then uh, such a course. Yeah, that sounds like a really, really good op- um, yeah, educational uh, resource. Yeah, the, the, the hope is that it will be kind of a... I designed it so that people would be able to take it and also just turnkey use it in their own um, colleges, right? Um or their own CTF teams or something along these lines, right? All the videos are on YouTube, et cetera. Um, the the, the uh, tweaking, like like you said, is very... For example, uh, we completely rewrote uh, several modules this year based on, um, you know, insights from last year. Um, and then for next year, uh, for, for reverse engineering, for example, we start out with, you know, uh, a simple crack me. Right. And then um, we gradually introduce uh, more complex concepts, reverse engineering, more complex algorithms and so forth. And then we say, OK, well, here is a, a crack me. But the um, the uh, verification is MD5. You're not going to break this MD5. Right. Um, and uh, but the challenge will let you change one byte of memory. Right. And so then, you know, people start 
interacting with the the binary in a way that they're they they haven't before and then we move into reverse engineering a virtual machine right and so on but and then there are right now the way we have it is up until that that patch me basically everything is good between the patch me and the virtual machine there's a big jump in complexity that's not covered and i think um looking at the results and talking to to students and and seeing the difficulties there the jump in complexity that's not covered is the concept that um, your input has bearing on the execution of the program in a more complicated way than just being checked for a yes or no mm. right at the end, mm. right? And so far for the for the crackmies, uh, the, the key gens basically that they have to solve, it's all about what is the input that will make the program say yes. There's only one place in the whole program where that input is finally checked, right? But for the virtual machine, their input changes the operation of the program every byte, every step of the way, right? Um, because they're, they're inputting a, a you know, the, the, and, and that's missing. So, mm. um, Interesting. You know, there, there's just very clear things that, that, you know, oh, this is, uh, how we, we, you know, over time evolved the, the material. Interesting. Yeah. That sounds, that sounds amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's definitely not a, not a panacea. I mean, I, I think you mentioned just the raw number of hours that add up, right? These, this is, I think, important, but also very difficult because these students have yeah. a full educational load yeah. outside of my class. Yeah. And I, the, like a, a, an issue I have, I get a lot of comments are people that are, for example, developers or mm -hmm. work in an mm -hmm. entirely different field and want and ask how they can get into security. And it's sometimes, it's almost like heartbreaking to tell them that it like requires like a lot of experience i feel like to get into yeah. security and job um and so yeah i understand that students who have a lot of free time know they are also very busy and for them it might also take like a whole semester just on one like introduction course and there's just binaries right this is the other crazy yeah. thing so yeah. thinking yeah. about uh, web you know web security yeah. is oh, yeah and it's just binary yeah, i mean because when i you know i cover about a third of my grad courses on web security and you know we have to I can't assume any prior knowledge, so we have to start at the beginning, right? You have to talk about uh, what is HTTP, what is HTML, what are URLs, like how is this whole complex web structured? And then you have to, I mean, yeah, it's just crazy to me when you look at like all the technologies that are required to understand the web. I mean, it's an insane list of soup of stuff that I'm sure, Fabian, you kind of like me have just picked it up over time, right? It's like you... You learned some of this in the past, or maybe because I also started as kind of a yeah. web developer who kind of dabbled in security. And so, yeah, it's like, yeah, well, I picked up PHP and JavaScript, and that's kind of just stuff I know. But now it's just so complicated and, and complex. It's a, it's a crazy kind of task to try to teach somebody about the security of all these things. Cool. Uh, any other thoughts on... I think that the, the thing that you made me think of, Jan, that, that I think it kind of ties everything together is that, you know, creating mm -hmm. these, these levels for your class that kind of do one concept. So like, you know, they're here and you understand that their knowledge is at this level. And so you're trying to give them a step up that they can do, but not a huge step up such that they're never going to get there. I think something that there's actually an interesting overlap there between that and organizing a CTF, because in some sense that is the goal is with those challenges that you're creating, you also yeah. understand that the security level of all the people playing CTF is at a certain thing. And you are trying to either not necessarily take them to the next level, but 
But like Fabian said, teach them some new concept or something new that you think is cool that you've learned or that you've discovered. And so how do you create a challenge that gets them to do that? So anyways, I just think that's a kind of a interesting way of maybe yeah, that's, thinking I mean, about yeah. organizing a CTF in those terms. Yeah, it's difficult. Uh, For sure. <laughs> and everybody's on a different level. That makes it all so hard to educate on security. Yeah, exactly. Because for the top yeah. teams, they'll they'll be yeah, able to it's... close that gap. But for you know people who are further down, for them it may look like it's impossible, right? And it's only till afterwards. But like we've talked about, I think it's hmm. there's huge benefit in trying uh, attempting to solve those challenges uh, because trying to bridge that gap is is really important part of the learning process. Yeah, and 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 what I find with, with Pwn College actually the the thing I wanted to um kind of fold back into this is, uh, like I said, I, I give them extra credit for playing in CTFs. Um, and uh, the course is hard. Extra credit is, is important. Um, and so uh, students uh, pile into CTF. I have something like about 20 students that um, maybe not every weekend, but um, they, they play CTF quite frequently, um, about 15 per weekend, right? Um, and... Uh, I tell them, yeah, you can play with the, um, you know, super lead hackers at ASU if you want. Um, they play harder CTFs, or you can make your own teams. Um, and I think there are three teams that have come out of my class that are now playing and, and, and scoring. That's Like, awesome. not, you know, winning, but uh, they come back, and some weekends I have them submit write-ups, and some weekends they say, oh, uh, I... Um, you know, our team solved 27 challenges. I mean, they're just, they're CTFs with a lot of challenges, right? But, sure. You know, it's still a it's, success. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I, and Al's CTF was, uh, was actually a, a great one. It had a lot of introductory, uh, problems that they were able to tackle. And, and it's just, it's so cool because you can see just from reading the write ups, you can see that, okay, this concept they got from the class, but this concept they generalized. Mm. Right. Um, and and uh, that or, or just over time. Right. The first week, everyone was like, you know, we sat there for the entire CTF and we didn't solve everything, anything. Right. And then um, gradually you start understanding that, holy shit, these people have learned how to Google. Right. Whether that's from my class or being forced to participate in CTFs nonstop, um, they've, they, they're now able to actually find write ups, read write ups try to generalize that information. It was just very cool to see. And, and some CTFs are just incredible for, for beginners. Mm. Um, Hacktober, I think, was was an amazing one, oh, for really? example. That, Interesting. That just, yeah, just, I mean, my, uh, glowing reviews for my students or down under CTF. I actually, um, that was one of the, the first ones um, where I was starting to look out for, you know, which CTFs are good for beginners. I actually reached out to down under on Twitter and said, guys, great job you know here's uh, some feedback from my students that it's just like you know incredible oh that's good to know yeah awesome yeah so there are people out there i think um in when we're writing C, uh, ctf challenges we have this um strong uh desire to make super tough as nails challenges and so forth um because that's what the kind of uh, upper echelon of ctf uh is looking for but there are people out there that are hungry for for introductory challenges that um aren't 
you know war games that don't have you know YouTube videos already uh, walking through them, even if they share concepts and so forth. Right, because there's something to be said for that competitive aspect, right, Jan? Of like you know it's and especially if you're working as a team yeah. on things and it's a 48 hour weekend CTF, that's something that you can kind of really crank on as a group rather than necessarily working on a. You can always, I guess, you can always work on the next war game tomorrow, right? So it's easy to put off. <laughs> um, cool. Anybody else have any other topics they want to bring up or talk about? Um, only a comment to the last thing. Mm -hmm. uh, I mentioned earlier that I have been like participating in the Cybersecurity Challenge Germany, which was a competition for students. It was like bad CTF, but uh, we uh, took it over like Alice the CTF team and other past members uh, took over the organization of that. Uh, we founded a nonprofit for that. And um, that is obviously aimed at students and uh, like uh, high school and university students. And our goal is to have educational challenges. And so we also tried like we had a specific introduction category that had always three levels and the first level always came with a write-up or a video write-up even. Oh, cool. And then having small changes to that. And it was, for example, a binary exploitation challenge where just like the next level was without, first it was without cannery and then the next was with cannery. But mm -hmm. you had the write-up yeah. for the one without cannery. And so just like, yeah. So I... You mentioned a few things that I will keep in mind for next year when we organize because, like, we obviously want to have like uh, a CTF that teach that is intended for like beginners or general like yeah. learning purposes, not so much for the. Yeah, I think that's amazing, and I think we need more of things like that, like uh, Pico CTF. I mean, I think that's those. These are exactly the types of CTFs. So, so. Oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say these are exactly the kind of CTFs I think we need more of. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. I wonder if we need to have some sort of a index of uh, so, for example, you know, when when someone says, "How do I get into this?" You know, they just kind of find out. Like, for example, we've been uh, this cybersecurity CDF presumably is open to everyone. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Pone College is open to everyone. Uh, live Overflow or Live. Obviously, live overflow over the wire is is, is open to everyone. But the live overflow, uh, you know, your course um, on on exploitation is open to everyone. Uh, maybe a list of these introductory resources and also resources to learn the fundamentals. You don't. I mean, I haven't gone through your course, but presumably you don't teach assembly. Neither do I. Well, right? I Not... do actually, but uh, oh, great. I, I only brush over it briefly. Um, I just want right. to like point out a few things. For example, I did like a, a C code, compared that to code, but also compared 32-bit to 64-bit code side by side, awesome. just as a way to learn assembly. Um, that was kind of like my approach, for example. But yeah, yeah very yeah. briefly so, on so, um, These sort of... I've been trying to curate some resources on Pwn College um, itself. Um, actually, would you mind sending me I mean, I'll dig it up, uh, the, the video, because uh, that's a big... Yeah, for sure. Yeah, somehow students get to senior level of um, undergraduate education without ever having seen x86 assembly. Mm. Um, they are old but, videos. They are not up to my standard nowadays, but sure. yeah, I still think they hold up. It's fine. I'm sure they're great. Yeah, that, that is very cool. Yeah, and then, um, yeah, I'll, I'll put that on, on, yeah. on the Pwn College site. Yeah, I... Pwn College was was a hilarious thing because right in the 
the night before the the first day of class in uh, 2018, we were like, uh, you know, we have to write a framework, we have to write challenges. <laughs> we have to, uh, it was it was pretty good, pretty last minute, and I was just like randomly Google, went and searched for cool TLDs to name the the class, and I saw college as a TLD. <laughs> That's uh, a great. Yeah. Yep, it's a perfect match. <laughs> Is there an overflow TLD? And and unfortunately not. There's a WS, so I own life overflows. Um, but there's no OW. No. Um, it sucks. Also, overflow life is taken, which also is annoying. That that's a bummer. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's that's taken. I think the reason Pwn College isn't hacking college or hack college is that it was also taken. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's an it's a this whole naming thing. There's one thing about you mentioned uh, that uh, kind of like sorting or categorizing like these resources <laughs> and so forth. Uh, for my videos, I had this idea which I started, never finished. Was I have a website? It's live, but it doesn't have lots of content. It's called Hacking App, and just fancy TLD has nothing to do with the content, but it's kind of like categorizing my videos in the different categories. The idea is that what I mentioned earlier with, for example, the browser developer tools, you can click on browser developer tools. You want to learn about that. And then it brings you to videos that use that technology or tool in like obviously a playful, fun, cool CTF kind of way. Um, I I've kind of like this way of us. Uh, Splitting up the topics and sorting resources, but uh, yeah, I've never really gone gotten around to finishing that. Yeah, it, it it it's hard to to do all of these things, right? It's easy to to start a lot of them, and uh, yeah. in an ideal world, yeah. I would have my own CTF challenges hosted for all the videos and exactly would have written blog posts with every video and so forth. Yeah, that's that's a struggle. That's it's. Man, I, I know I know how much how much time all of this takes. It's insane, but yeah, you're. I think you're you're um, just based on your inspiration on my students. You're you're doing a, a oh, great, wow. um, okay. great job. So, uh, yep, it's awesome. We really like a uh, very important piece of the community yep, for I think. sure. Thank you. Um, cool. Anything uh, you want to plug? Um, anything else before we uh, we finish up? Uh, there's a cool project from Zeta2 called uh, SecurityCreators.video, where he is listing a lot of like the YouTubers and streamers that uh, okay. uh, create like this either like live content, uh, edited videos, like I do, like the whole range. So if you have uh, not looked up other YouTube creators, uh, they are listed there. And, Security uh, creators dot video. Wow! Yeah. Oh, this is so cool. Yeah, it's it's on I'm GitHub. It right Everybody now. who has a channel can like uh, send a pull request to uh, get added there. It's also always like randomized the order. I believe it's like oh, randomizing every hour or so, so that there's like no bias. You can say Fabian's all the way at the bottom. What the hell's going on? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a cool resource. So if you have not looked up uh, videos, or if you haven't found the creator you like yet, uh, maybe that's a good platform too look around well that is cool uh yeah that that's a great and uh, zeta 2 is doing this video yes. actually just recently and uh had yeah, him on. great yeah that's great all right um yeah okay with with that i guess uh fabian thank you for joining us today and uh 
everyone uh, watching, thanks for joining us today as well. Um, <laughs> I'm Zardas. Uh, you can uh, find me on Twitter, at Zardas. Um, uh, this guy over here is Adam D. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Adam Dupay. Uh, our guest today is uh, Live Overflow, and you can find him on Twitter on Live Overflow, um, right? Yes. Is that that's okay? Right. Good. <laughs> I, I don't know. All right. Awesome. Cool. So we're at CTF Radio, and you can find us online on YouTube or Twitter at CTF Radio O O um, O, not zeros, and that's three of them because um, we're making things as complicated as possible. You can send us questions through email, um, ctfradiooo at gmail.com. And who knows? Your questions may end up on a future episode of CTF Radio. Take care and happy hacking. Yeah, thanks so much. Bye.